Welcome to the Wildverse podcast, where we introduce you to the wild world of taxidermy, a place where artists and hunters collide. I'm Heather. And I'm Ashley. And today we are talking about the eyes that bring our work to life. We have a special guest today from one of the leading glass eye producers in the world. Judah Payer from Payer Eyes is here to join us and tell us a little bit about himself and what it is like to be in the business of making eyes. So welcome, Judah. How are you doing today? Hello, doing well. How are y'all? Doing great. Yeah, yeah. Can't complain. Can't complain. So we had thought that we would sort of start off this episode with a little bit of an icebreaker for you to get this off to a fun start. Alrighty. Yes, since you are the eye guy, we have a quick, fun, eye-related question for you. Firstly, do you know what animal has the largest eyes on the planet? I would go ahead and say probably... Ooh, on the planet, swimming or non-swimming? On the planet. All right. Uh, I would say the giraffe. Uh, that's that's a good guess. Yeah, that's probably what I would guess. <laughs> In- incorrect? No, that's actually a really great guess. I'd probably guess that too. But you were right with thinking like in... In the water, because the animal with the largest eye is actually a colossal squid. Ah, okay. Yes, so Ashley's going to send you those pictures and look at those. So after seeing the pictures of that thing, here's a real question for you. How many millimeters is the largest eye on the planet? A, 80 millimeters. B, 270 millimeters. C, 180 millimeters. Or D, 344 That's a good one. Let's see here. I'm going to go with D, 344. Okay, okay. That was a very good guess. That's probably what I would have guessed too because it is just humongous. Massive. But the actual answer would be 270 millimeters. Ah, right. 270. Yeah, it's huge. Two for two, not knowing my eyes. (laughs) That's all right. I (laughs) doubt you guys make very many colossal squid eyes. (laughs) <laughs> I've never seen a squid mount anyway, so... That is very true. That's what I, I would refer to would be some mounts. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's something that I don't think is very high in demand. That is a huge eye. That's like the size of a football. I guess. How many inches would that be? 277 millimeters. 270 millimeters, my bad. 270. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know my conversions either. Yeah, I don't know. If I had the time, I'd... Well, hold on. You know what? No, I'm not going to Google it. <laughs> I just said it's <laughs> ten, 10 and a half inches. 10 and a half inches. That's it. <laughs> oh, wow. That is big. Google knows everything. It does. Google's great. When we ever don't, when we don't know a question in the shop, I just Google it. <laughs> we just, you know, if we have some random question that we're wondering, Google answers it for us. I love Google so much. Ugh. So another fun little side note that we wanted to ask you about was your goat herd. I know I see on Instagram your posts about the goats, and they're so cute. So we just wanted to kind of ask a little about them. All right. Well, I've had goats since I was probably like 10 or 12 years old because on Father's Day one year, my dad was telling me how much he despised goats because he grew <laughs> up milk- milking them and you know kind of being forced to milk them and run the milk places and that and the other. So for a uh, kind of like a gag gift I bought a, a little Nigerian dwarf goat and it's like a like a miniature breed from Africa and kind of just for fun and that's that's what started it all I've had them ever since they're a lot of fun and then down here in Texas when my wife and I moved here we just pretty much just have a breeding herd that whenever they have kids just whenever they get weaned off we sell the kids and kind of maintains the herd feed and all that fun stuff for the year wow that's interesting. I, you know, I saw the goat pictures on your Instagram, but I didn't even really piece together 
that you know you guys had like a whole goat herd going on yeah yeah how many do you have uh right now with a few kids that they just had it's I think we only have like 10. We kind of kind of dwindled down this past year just because we had a really bad drought in Texas. So okay. less mouths to feed the better when that's going on. Absolutely. How fun. I used to raise little goats too. It actually had some Nigerian dwarfs. So man, they are like the cutest ones, especially when they're babies. Ugh. Yep. Super cute little babies prancing around. The cutest. Yeah. I'm sure your wife enjoys them. Yeah. I mean, that's typically yep, she loves them. us women like the cute little goats. For sure. She loves them. She doesn't let me get rid of them. When I need to get rid of the ones we need to, she's always always the first to say not to. But Yeah, I don't blame her. She realizes eventually you got to get rid of, you know, because the males fight each other and all that fun stuff. So you got to get rid of them eventually. That's goat math. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now let's get into the good stuff. So Judah, can you tell us a little bit about how your family began making eyes? Yeah. Yeah, so it's actually, I'll kind of give you the brief history of payer eyes and our family in the eye industry pretty much worldwide in the past close to 40 years. So my dad, he used to work actually with a man named John Crosley, who he was actually an apprentice for a taxidermist at the time. And then he did taxidermy work on the side. And then my dad, he was kind of kind of like an older brother figure to, or John Crosley was like a older brother figure to my dad. So he actually worked for Crosley making forms for him doing, they were still doing paper mache forms then. And then he, he started doing the foam forms and all that. So my dad's kind of just been in the taxidermy world for like 50 years or a few more years, more than 50. So he grew up around it and everything like that. And then, so John, he would always tell my dad how the only good eyes that he could ever get were in Germany at the time, which I don't know the company that was manufacturing them then, but pretty much that was like the biggest thing. Like you couldn't, couldn't get them in America at all. You couldn't really get anything good unless you made them yourself. And that was super time consuming and, and difficult. Yeah. Do you know about like what year that was? Like when he was, um, you know, thinking about getting into it. Yeah. So that was in before 1985. So it was like 1983, 1984. So it was quite a few years ago. So then my grandfather, my dad's dad, he used to go to Europe a lot and, you know, vacation, this, that, and the other. So he was also friends with John Crosley at the time. So Crosley, he started buying blanks with my grandfather from Germany and they started making their own, you know, painting their own eyes, firing their own eyes and whatnot. My grandpa and John and my dad learned all about kind of making them through that, which, you know, it's still rudimentary and the eyes after a few years would crack in the heads or they would bleach out because the paints were incorrect and whatnot. And then I don't know what year it was, but Eventually, my dad and my mom, they got married and they found out that they both have Jewish roots in their families, uh, both raised Christian, uh, Christian Catholic, I guess, in eastern Pennsylvania there. And so my parents decided to go to Israel and actually move there because they fell in love with, with Israel. Wow. And at the time, John Crosley, he was at the 1985 World Show. And he met two Israeli brothers in America here at the at the Taxidermy World Show. And he was telling my dad all about them, you know, how they live in Israel, this, that, and the other. My, my parents had just moved to Israel at the time. So they started then talking about potentially having 
my dad make eyes in Israel because he because he knew all about it. Now he was living there. Now he has these two contacts that are in the taxidermy industry. And so in 1996, this was about eight to 10 years later after meeting these two, they had actually started a company together. My, my dad, John Crosley, and these two Israeli uh, brothers, and they had a, a factory in Israel. They started making glass eyes. And mainly it was for John and for the American industry that couldn't get eyeballs easily at all. And at the time, John Crosley, he had founded Tohican Glass Eyes, which is the other the other big name, you know, the, the yeah. big three in the world, pretty much. So at the time then, while my dad was starting his factory in Israel, John started his manufacturing facility in America. Mm-hmm. And then in 1996, so, you know, 11 years later after they started started everything in Israel. They were living there. My brothers and I, we were actually born in Israel. So we're all dual citizens. Wow. I did not know that. That's very intriguing. (laughs) Yeah, that's super cool. Long story short, they moved back to America after I was born and they still have the, they still have the factory there in Israel and everything. Uh, But it was in 1996, my dad bought out John Crosley and he bought out the two Israeli brothers from that company and started Payer Glass Israel. And then at the time, of course, John, he was fine with getting bought out because he had started Tohican Glass Eyes here in America. So then in 1996, it turned into pretty much we just manufactured blank glass eyes for Tohican for John Crosley. How interesting. I I honestly would have never guessed that there was this much of a story into this. <laughs> yeah. I thought it would have just been like, ah, you know, we thought it'd be fun. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> There's a lot a lot of history. And of course, it's that kind of thing. Like me as a kid growing up in school, like, oh, yeah, what do your parents do? Like, what do you do? You know, getting older and everything. It's like, oh, we make glass eyeballs and like what the heck like what are you talking about it's it's kind of like it's weird because i know nothing else like just growing up in the eye industry like i wasn't even exposed to the taxidermy industry until i started hunting when i was when i was 12 but even after that i was probably like 15 or 16 i went to the first pa show just as a spectator just because my dad said how cool it was that is so fascinating i would have never guessed any of that either especially like that uh, payer eyes is so like well i know it's international but i would have never guessed that it like started over there in israel that's very cool yeah yep yep so it was payer glass israel it's now currently i think it's it's under two company names like a dba pretty much it's still payer glass israel but payer eyes is the is the american sales side of of our company there in israel okay and then that that started in, I guess it was like 2012 or 2013. I was still in high school. Or no, I, was, I guess I was just graduating high school. That's what it was. And my dad and I were driving down the road one day and he he asked me, he's like, uh, hey, if we move to Texas and, you know, move the whole family down, blah, 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 would you start selling these eyes with me and start a new company, Payer Eyes? And I, you know, just, I had no clue what to even say so i just said yeah obviously because i oh i was just a landscaper and a, and a uh, snowplow driver in pennsylvania so i was like eh, let's go to let's go to texas and uh start something new so then about two years later i for those two years i would receive eyes we go to the airport every week pick up eyes 
go drop him off at Tohican, which we lived right near Tohican Glass Eyes in Irwin, Pennsylvania. Drop him off and they would sell him from there. And then when we decided we were going to start Payer Eyes, I would just be, you know, in the back of our horse barn, pretty much just packing up eyes and shipping them out. You know, obviously it was like one or two shipments a month at that time, but hmm. it was, uh, that was the start of it all there. So what I wanted to ask was, the company in Israel was more based on just making blank glass eyes. Correct. At the time, like from its founding to probably the early 2000s, that's a majority. I've, I would say 90% of what they did. And then starting in the 2000s, we started painting some eyes for, I believe, for Mackenzie and for Tohican. In the early 2000s, you know, some of some of the paint, it's not like we finished them for them, but we would paint the Scalera on and ship them the, you know, the blanks with the Scalera or vice versa, put the detail on or stuff like that. So there was there was some of that also with some halfway finished products, but mostly blanks. How did you guys like learn the process of like, you know, painting eyes and stuff? Was it just like through your parents? Like, did they learn through trial and error over there? Or was it the Israeli brothers or? Yep. Pretty much it was mainly my dad learned it from John just because it was kind of like trial and error at the time in America before they even moved with those German blanks and whatnot, making them like he's told me stories where they're, you know, they use a hot plate and stuff like that to slump glass to make eyes and then paint the detail on and literally like weeks later have the eyes crack in the back of the head because they you know the glass isn't annealed or yeah. it's not it, it has no preparation or anything so it was kind of I, I believe just a lot of trial and error on their parts before he even started the factory in Israel but then when he did start the factory in Israel obviously that was kind of a big a big thing minus his family background having Jewish roots it was like you know we just started this company we kind of got to we kind of got to learn it before we can even have employees here so that's why they moved there and decided to start a family there just cuz they were living there just you know working their new factory Wow, how interesting. And so obviously the factory in Israel, that's still active. Yes, ma'am. Is that where like the eyes are still manufactured at? Or how does that work, I guess? We were actually just there uh, in October when the war broke out. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I saw that. We were there on, I forget what day we got there, but we were there for like a little over a week. Uh, we we're, were at the factory that two days before the war broke out and everything. But yeah, it's still, still full manufacturing there. And it's... We, even during, like, years ago, like, a few years ago, in, like, our prime of sales, we were doing maybe only 10% of the eyes here, and then, like, 90% of our inventory would come from our factory in Israel. It's more here in America, my dad and I do the research and development, and then once we have that established, then send, you know, send the bulk, pretty much we send bulk orders to ourselves, to our factory over there, for them to send back to us. So my question is, why is it so hard to make the glass blanks in the U.S.? Is it like a, it's just we can't do it cheap enough over here? But like it seems like they all come from Europe and Israel and Russia. Like Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's that hard necessarily. Myself, as a, an American patriot who loves America, I always ask my dad, like, why, you know, why don't we just start a factory here, this, that, and the other? To start a factory here, to start manufacturing here was always just a giant, you know, it's a giant investment up front. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not, I mean, we, it, it's kind of like the 
very similar like pay scale over there. So it's not like it's cheaper labor. It's not like it's cheaper rent. It's not like it's cheaper electricity. But we just so happen to be in the position where my parents started our factory then and there and it just always worked. So we never, we never changed it, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's hard to do it here at all whatsoever. Of course, we're closer to like glass making material and stuff like that over there in the Middle East, but in America, potentially it would, it wouldn't be anything other than just a giant investment for startup. Okay. All right. Yeah. I wondered if there was something about the U S that was harder to make glass than I guess sand is a big thing in glass, right? I mean, yeah. so over there, of course, Israel, in that area, there's a lot of sand. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of sand. Oh, that makes sense. We have plenty of sand here. The only other thing I could imagine would be our climate here in America. Like before the podcast, I was telling you guys how right now I live in near Austin, Texas, right in the middle of Texas. It's 33 degrees and like 80% humidity with like little snow flurries and snow coming down. But you'd think in the middle of a kind of tropical desert state, you wouldn't have to deal with the weather that yeah. much. You still do. And I'm pretty sure a lot of America's pretty broad scale of like weathers and humidities and temperatures and everything, which in Israel, where we have our factory, the humidity's pretty much identical all year. The weather's pretty much identical all year. So that would be one thing to have to deal with here in America. I mean, obviously you can control all that, but it might just be a little, a little bit of a pain in the butt. Yeah, that makes sense. So it has a lot to do with climate and the weather. And it sounds like it would be just a big endeavor to switch everything over when you already have something established over there. Is that kind of correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we've, I mean, we, when we were just there, it's cool to see. Cause I've, we used to go every year over to the factory, you know, just as an excuse to have a family trip over to, to Israel. My parents have people that have been working for them there in the factory. The factory has been open here. I think it was 38 years, 39 years this year. Now wow. we've had pair, pair glass Israel and we have a few employees there that have been working for 35 plus years for us. Oh, that's incredible. You know, it's they're not our family over there, but they they're our extended family for sure. Yeah, it's great. Like we've known them for for half of I mean, for my whole life. So has the war in Israel, has that affected things? I know there's always a lot of conflicts going on, but of course, right now in the current times, there is, you know, a lot going on in the media and stuff. So I'm wondering if it's like yeah. affecting it maybe more than normal or is there any effects from it? Oh, yeah. Yep, for sure. So I won't get too political because I could get yeah. really political, but <laughs> I'll just say it this way. We employ Americans in our factory. We employ Israelis in our factory, obviously, and our factory is in the West Bank of Israel, if you've heard of that. I don't know. Israel is very political, and it's hardcore over there because people die over politics, like, easily. So our factory is in the West Bank, which is what they, you know, what they say is occupied Israel. It's in the Arab-controlled parts of the country. So we actually have to go through a border checkpoint to get to our factory and to where my parents own a house and where we used to live. Um, because we employ Palestinians as well in our factory. We have everyone that, you know, is supposed to be hating each other and despising each other and everything. We have all three groups 
living in harmony, working in harmony in our factory. It's what what they put in the media is not necessarily, everyone knows it's never really true at all. Right. Like they always kind of amplify things. And then like, you know, the common people maybe see it differently than how you know we can see it from even over here. With that in mind, we were there when the war just started. And then when we left, it was about a week later, we had the military show up. Because our factory is actually in an IDF military uh, community, kind of like a army base here in America, similar to that. Like a lot of military people live there. And we had the military come in and say, you can't continue business until you have an armed security guard for the factory. You know, just in case anyone does radicalize and get any, any ideas, we had to hire security for the year. I guess, I mean, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So we were shut down for three weeks while we were, my dad and I were trying to find a security guard from here in America. And he speaks Hebrew. I don't speak any Hebrew. He's 99% fluent in it. So we were calling places in Israel, places in America. And uh, I mean, I never thought of it, but you can't imagine how much armed security gets paid around the world and especially in America. I mean, when I was getting quotes from places here, it was just like astoundingly astronomical prices. Oh yeah. Because for security during like an active war situation, I'm sure like that has to be the highest security possible. Yep. We talked to guys. He's like, oh yeah, I got assets all around the world. I can send a guy over, you know, for, for the mere price of $50,000 a week. We'll make sure your eyes are safe over there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh dang. All for taxidermy eyes. Exactly. Holy so said, nah, we'll, we'll find someone else. Thank you. But uh, we did, we ended up finding a, he's a 68 year old man. He lived in the neighborhood there where the factory is and he's got his gun permanent in Israel. So that's all he needs to be a security guard there. So hmm. he's currently our armed security. Good, good. Glad you found somebody because we all definitely need eyes in our work. So I'm glad you guys could get started back. Yep, yep. Yeah. Pay him double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need those eyes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, so that's a lot that I'm learning so much about this already and stuff that I would have never even thought about. So that's super fascinating just to kind of learn about like the environment over there and just, you know, some of the things that like is so different than living here versus maybe what's going on yeah. over there. Yep. Crazy. Yep. And we, I mean, everyone, I mean, we ourselves even going there our whole lives, you take so much for granted until that split second where you don't have those freedoms and you don't have those you know, like you don't know if you're going to, if your little sister or your wife or your brother, you know, or your parents are going to be safe in the next 10 minutes or so. So it definitely, definitely opens your eyes for sure. It'll open everyone's eyes at some point, but it's, it's crazy to see in person. And it's funny how, or not funny, but it's just crazy to see how much influence that has on even the taxidermy industry, for example. One of the largest manufacturers of glass eyes in the world are just so happens to be based in a country that's currently at war so it's it's uh it is a small world as far as everything goes yeah yeah we're all kind of tied together yeah like you can really see the international impact even on an industry as you know niche as taxidermy exactly where would you say the taxidermy industry is as far as eyes go like are we on the edge of shortages still and back orders or do you think that things are evening out and getting back to some kind of normalcy so that's kind of a broad question because even we're kind of stumped um just by the fact that we have made more than we've ever made in our entire industry lives here at payer eyes so i think it's 
as plateaued as it's going to be right now, they should be available as far as that goes. So it's kind of a hard question to answer because I don't 100% know the answer to it just based on our quantity that we've made this past year or this past few years. So you said that you guys have been making more eyes than you have in the past? Correct. As far as numbers goes, it's like a few hundred thousand pairs more. Wow. So the industry, I mean, it's flooded with the orders and the eyes are going out. So the question is, I don't know. I just don't know why it's still as if they're always on back order. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard one to answer for me just because right now me not sending out because I was sending out all the eyes when we were payer eyes selling direct to customers so i knew exactly what was back ordered and i knew exactly what has been sent so i just can't answer that honestly right now yeah that makes sense i mean and this is a question that maybe you can't answer either i don't know you said that you were selling the blanks to mckenzie like you'd paint on the scalera and such but the center part wouldn't really be painted so now that you guys are kind of you know i guess one of the main suppliers, I guess, of McKenzie Eyes. You're still payer eyes, but going to McKenzie, like, how does that partnership work? Are you guys painting the eyes in Texas and sending to them? Are they still doing some of the painting? No, so all their McKenzie eyes are still McKenzie eyes. We don't do any of that anymore. Okay. And we haven't uh, since pretty much like 2013. I think every once in a while we'll kind of fill a void that they have in their manufacturing process for them just so they can keep up with their orders. But we currently still only make payer eyes. Okay. So any payer eyes that you buy from McKenzie, we still make them all. But with that being said... I don't personally go through them anymore as far as uh, quality control goes. We do have quality control in Israel as well, but I was kind of like the last stand between the eyes and going to the customer. So I'd always, you know, cut out the bad ones. And if we ever sent bad ones, I'd send good ones type deal. So when there are thousands of them going through, it is, I mean, they slip ups definitely do get through. So yeah, they make their McKenzie eyes that they sell and then the payer eyes they sell, we make all those. Okay. Okay. Then I guess that kind of answers the question as far as like the next one kind of tied into, you know, people, I'm sure you see it on Facebook comment like, Oh, these eyes are not the same as they used to be. Yeah. You're not getting to see every pair that goes out like you used to. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I used to send uh, about 35 orders a day, give or take, you know, some days it'd be 10 orders, but some days it'd be 50 orders. So I'd say around 30, 35 orders a day and every single box I would pack in there. I'd usually, you know, thank whoever ordered the eyes. And that way they knew that it was me who sent them. They can hold me accountable. If I sent you Bobcat eyes with a people that's off, that's fine and dandy. I'll just send you, send you another good pair. You paid for a good pair. So, but even when I was doing that quality control, there's obviously, there's still some that get through and there's still some that I think, okay, they look good to me, but then, you know, who knows? I'd Maybe I didn't get sleep that night or maybe I was yeah. on Instagram or something and just sent them regardless. So it's uh, it's one of those things. I don't do that part of it anymore. So I, I wish I still could do that part, you know, if they could all come through me. So everyone got, everyone got good quality eyes. But it's uh, it's I guess it's up to our factory quality control guys now. And I think they're, I think they're the last leg of it. And, you know, they stare eyeballs more, you know, all day long, more than I ever did. So they, I'm sure they let a lot go through. Yeah. There's, yeah. it's th- hundreds and thousands of pairs that are cranking through there. So it, it is easy to miss quite a few. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it happens to the best of us where you miss something, you try to do your best job, but you just 
miss something every now and then. Yep. Yep. So you used to have like 35 orders a day. Do you guys remember your first like big order? So when you first kind of got started, like when you were part of it too, do you remember like the first big order that you received? That's a good question. I remember some of our first suppliers, I guess they would be our biggest orders, like Ohio Taxidermy Supply. He was he was one of our first big orders, Rudy Upley up there at Ohio. We have a, a quite a few Texas customers that were... I mean, we live right now maybe 20 miles from our first ever customer uh, in Texas and that kind of thing. I wouldn't necessarily classify their orders as big, but I remember some of that stuff. But I would say, honestly, one of our first biggest orders was from OTS, Ohio Taxidermy Supply. Because, um, yeah, obviously, like you send them to suppliers <laughs> and then suppliers distribute them. Yep. Right. So it's not always like from you guys. It's, you know, you send them to suppliers, they sell them. Of course, like anything. Yeah. What is something that you wish more people knew about the eye making process and the manufacturing? That's a good question. I would say, I guess I wish more people knew that <laughs> I'm not making every single pair of eyes. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is a, it's definitely a process. And like I said, some of our workers have been with us for 35 plus years doing that putting on those same veins and, you know, painting that same Scalera band. So I can imagine it getting super repetitive because like here, my part of the company was pretty much get the eyes, repackage them and then reset them out. And I don't get to make very many pairs of eyes, just the few, you know, the few hundred samples we make a year here in America. But other than that, I would just say, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I, I don't make every pair of eyes. So if you do, if you do get a bad pair, just like I said, keep it. You can uh, put it on your shelf and I'll send you a free pair. Right. So that's that's a great answer, too. And so I guess kind of leads me to another question. And do you guys still do custom orders? Like example, like blue eyes, blind eyes or albino stuff like that? Yeah. So pretty much our thing is we just have a non-compete with Mackenzie, obviously. So I can't sell any eyes. They've reached out to us about a few customers of theirs that have been customers of ours for years and years and years. So we have made a few custom, actually quite a few, because we had, there's one client, he does a lot of house cats for, you know, like pets, and he always gets reference photos of them. And we used to sell him a few hundred pairs of custom cat eyes a year for pets. So he contacted Mackenzie and said, hey, like, they're the only ones that would do it for me. So can I still buy from them? And yeah, you still can, but you just have to go through Mackenzie. Okay. So that's kind of like where uh, your deal with Mackenzie is right now. Like, so you, all your eyes go through Mackenzie to be sold. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, ma'am. And we, and we have about two more years of our non-compete. Okay. So it was only like a term agreement. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It was a, f a five-year non-compete agreement. Okay, because I've heard people say like McKenzie bought Payer, and you know McKenzie buys up all these companies, and yeah. and then of course you know Payer gets thrown in there too. So it's interesting to know like it was just a term. Yeah, technically all they bought was Payerize the brand when we when we sold to them because we retain all manufacturing. We obviously Payer's our last name, right? <laughs> we retain our name. We can't sell eyes direct to customer. We can't sell eyes to anyone except McKenzie for five years and. Now we're now we're whittled down to about two more years. Gotcha. That'll kind of feel good, you know. Like it's it's a great partnership, but it is going to feel nice to yeah have that time be up. <laughs> yeah, and I I just miss the obviously now I go to the shows with James Yarborough back back to the taxidermy shows to 
to do the vendor booth and get around to see all our customers and talk with everyone. And I just, I miss being able to offer that customer service that everyone had before. And I think everyone loved before, cause you could just call me or text me any time of the day. <laughs> and it was kind of, you know, kind of just 24 seven. So I do miss being able to do that. I kind of still do a lot of it for McKenzie just because I have about 30 people a week message me on Facebook wow. or text me or anything, you know, asking about their order that I have no clue about. So I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> working for McKenzie, just kind of figuring out all their, all their slack ends, but yeah, it happens. <laughs> Exactly. I still got to keep payerized customers happy because we still make them all. Right. And like you said, it's your last name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I actually did not have this question marked down, but I was wondering, and maybe you can't talk about it. Who knows? How are the eyes painted nowadays? Like there's hand painted parts, but is it like a machine that prints them on there? Yeah. So there's a mix of the hand painting, obviously, like for example, for hours, like all the veins are hand painted, all the square is hand painted. But then a lot of what we used to do or still do is mixing hand painting and the photo rendering mm-hmm. into the glass, which it's it was never really a secret to begin with. But, you know, we would always tell people that's how we do it. Our process is different than you can ever find, but it's it is a mix of photo rendering and hand painting that way you can get kind of the most accurate natural detail and then obviously i mean there's so many there's so many different variables as far as like i was saying before weather humidity all that kind of stuff and then on top of that we or my dad has built custom kilns and custom ovens and custom annealing uh, bins and stuff like that over the past close to 50 years that we have such a such a custom way of making the eyes it's not really easy to keep it's actually our hardest thing is consistency there will be you know fluctuations in color every once in a while and stuff like that but that's literally just because the tiniest little thing as far as like a degree of humidity in the shop can throw that kind of stuff off like we've had red fox eyes turn blue and stuff like that just from just from little variables so i guess that makes sense i you know you know a lot of different stuff kind of has that happen like people with baking different humidity. Like I know, for instance, my mom makes fantastic fudge, but for some reason, the same recipe comes out different every time. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. So we, we have like a baseline and then we have, we have a baseline for color, baseline for pigment, a baseline for all this stuff. And you literally every time you have to match it. And we have, a we still have a lot, a ton of seconds that I used to sell at the shows that, you know, Maybe it's it looks fine, and maybe it's definitely sellable, definitely usable. But if it's not what's natural, then we don't like to sell it as a first, just because it's not what it looks like. So it sounds like a lot of chemistry. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like a lot of chemistry. It does. I remember your mom at the PA show was making her little eye necklaces. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I do remember that. Yep, she actually just broke out a box the other day of seconds. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She just, you know, it's one of those things you got a few hundred pairs of these things and it, it, like a lot of the cat eyes are gorgeous. A lot of the, you know, like mountain lions and owls and stuff like that. They, they have really pretty eyes and a lot of people have no clue that they're eyes. So they see it on a necklace and like, oh my gosh, what's that stone? Like, it's so pretty. They're like, oh yeah, it's actually a oh off color bobcat eye. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So do you have a favorite type of eye to make? um to make like i said i don't make that many of them so i wouldn't even really say i had a favorite to make but i know my favorite 
eyes are our penguin eyes that we have, our king oh. penguin eyes. Penguin eyes. Yeah, they're just really, really cool looking. A lot of detail in them, and there, there's just so much depth to them that's really cool. Huh, you're gonna have to send us a picture of those. Yeah, I need to see what a penguin eye looks like. <laughs> All right, we'll do. I've, I made a pair for Jaren. Do y'all know Jaren? Yeah, up here at Skulls Unlimited, right? In Oklahoma. Yep, correct. Yeah. Yep. So he mounted, I think, a few king penguins for something. So he sent me reference pictures. I was like, holy cow, they're they're really cool. And we made some up. I think I might have a picture of his mount still, but they're they're definitely guaranteed you'd never imagine what they can look like. Yeah, I don't have a clue. I'm imagining they probably have a round pupil. <laughs> so that kind of tied me into my next question, which was the unique orders. That would be, I would say, a unique order. But I also saw on your website, I don't know how this popped up, but you guys make koala eyes. And I never knew that a koala eye had a slip pupil. Why did you make those? <laughs> I believe I forget who ordered those. Honestly, they were they were quite a while ago. But I think they were a guy down in. Never mind. Scratch that. I know exactly who it was. It, it's actually funny because Jaron, who I was just telling you about with the penguin, he was down here in Texas at another one of my good friends and customers over here in Blanco, Texas, and he was mounting a whole set of seven koalas, like climbing a tree. Oh wow! For a museum, he was doing for the uh, one of the schools here. He was setting up like a taxonomy museum for the kids from different schools to come around and check it out. So it was, uh, yeah, right there. He needed seven pairs of koala eyes. We're like, Oh, okay. We'll find a koala, get some pictures and make some up. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. They, they kind of look as it, and their, their pupils are crazy. Cause they can like almost change like a cat's like where they'll get full round and then there'll be slip people and, this that and the other but all the all the good reference we got of the one at the zoo here and then there's a ton on the inter on the internet but a lot of them were, had that slip pupil there i know i've seen them with the round pupil i just never knew it went to be in slit so that's pretty cool yeah yeah they're they're cool little critters so um i guess first of all judah is there anything you wanted else to talk about because it kind of gets us to the end of of wrapping stuff up is there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch on not really off the top of my head other than just uh, keep <laughs> keep holding keep holding on to hope cuz uh, we'll be we'll be back in the retail market in a few years and be back to answering everyone's calls and taking everyone's orders again back to back to payer customer service that everyone was was used to and in, until then we're we're working our butts off still making eyes i don't know what's going on with everything but i wish i could tell everyone where their where their orders were but other than that, uh, my hands are kind of tied right now. Well, cool. We want to thank you, Judah, for talking with us today and sharing a little bit of your knowledge with us. And I think that kind of, yeah, wraps it up. All right. Yeah, thank you very much. That was, you, you really enlightened me, at least I know. I learned a lot of cool stuff. You were very in, intriguing to talk to, so I really appreciate that. If you all ever have any more questions or anyone has any questions or concerns or needs help with one of their eye orders from Payer Eyes, just feel free <laughs> Feel free to always give me a call. I mean, it's uh, I can help as much as I can. But So if any of our listeners would like to look at the beautiful eyes that Judah and his family create, you can check them out on Facebook at Payer Eyes or go to their website, thepayereyes.com. And we would like to thank you for listening to The Wildverse. Before we go, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram where we share more details from each week's episode and share sneak peeks of what's coming up next. 
So now you can show us some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Until then, stay busy, stay calm, but most of all, take some time for yourself. Oh, and hey, don't forget to order eyes. I know you're almost out. That is a very good thought. (laughs) 